0: Hello, this is Zach Driscoll welcoming you to the Real Men Podcast. This podcast is specifically designed to equip men of all ages. My dad's heart has always men to be strong followers of Jesus and future leaders for their families. We want to build men up, not beat men up. For more Bible-centered resources like this, visit realfaith.com slash realmen. Now get ready for this week's Real Men Talk from my dad, Pastor Mark.
1: Alrighty, well, hey, it's a very special day for me. I feel like I'm always short. I'm the shortest man in my family and they gave me the short chair. I'm feeling particularly self-conscious. Uh, I'm here with my dad uh, and we wanted to have just a, a brief conversation and to honor you pops. And uh, it's the last real men's of the uh, semester. And uh, tomorrow uh, my older my youngest daughter rather uh, is graduating from high school. So my mom and dad were in town and uh, they got to hang out with us and come by. So maybe everybody just take a minute Kind of say your name, maybe how old you are, where you're at in life, what you're doing, and we'll let Grandpa go last.
0: You want me to start because you're looking at me? Yeah, okay. Perfect. Cool. Uh, My name's Zach. I'm 22, been married for 13 months to my wife, Chloe, and work here at the church, help run the student ministry of 6th through 12th graders.
1: And uh, how old were you when you met your wife?
0: We were in, I was in 8th grade. She was in 7th grade.
1: So like 14.
2: Yeah, we've known each other for over seven years now.
1: That's awesome, that's awesome. You're next, Calvin.
2: My name is Calvin, I am 20 years old. I'm at GCU, uh, gonna be a senior. I also work here, get to oversee our internships, so if you see any interns running around, I get to be their boss. Um, and uh, if you have any toddlers, you have probably seen me because I spend a lot of time in the toddler class. So.
1: And what do you wanna do when you graduate?
2: Um, I want to go into ministry, uh, numbers and uh, charts make, get me excited, so uh, I, I want to be on more of the business side of the church, uh,
3: more of like an executive pastor role, so yeah. Cool. cool. I'll go next, uh, I'm Gideon, I'm 16, I'm a sophomore in high school, um, I just started driving, so that's, that's my next stage of life that I'm in right now. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, what do you do here at the church, buddy? Uh, I'm a junior intern, so I'm a step below what he does. He'll be my boss in around a year. But, yeah, so I help out in kids and, uh, yeah, just serve in the backyard. So.
1: And it's a cool story. We're here in the building. It was uh, so before we planted the church, this building was not on the market, and uh, we heard that it was potentially available. Maybe you tell them that story, son.
3: Yeah, so I, I play baseball, and um
1: Probably nine at the time? Yeah, nine
3: at the time. Um, It was right after a baseball practice, and we just drove past, and we stopped, and then we pulled up, and when we first got here, before I tell the rest of the story, um, there was a homeless man out front, so we had to deal with that first. We uh, woke him from his deep sleep, but um, (laughs) yeah, so we figured that out, and then I proceeded to pray over the building, and I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me that this was going to be our building, and that we were going to planted the church here so yeah
1: and we planted the church because the boys came home called a family meeting said they wanted to start a church as a family ministry and you felt like god told you it was going to be our building and not the homeless guys so thank you for that um uh, i'm landon uh i'm one of the
4: pastors here at trinity and his son-in-law i'm married to his oldest daughter yep. she's awesome she's the director of real faith uh i i get to oversee events kids interns um all the fun stuff so
1: yeah it's awesome 25 25 and yeah. Doing great. Yeah. We're, and we're in a great season. My wife, my, uh, my wife and I appreciate you. Our daughter's the happiest and most relaxed we've ever seen, so. Thank it's you. It's an honor to be married. You're doing a her. great job. A so, and dad, maybe introduce
5: yourself. I'm the guy who started this mess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so dad, maybe tell them a little bit like uh, where you were born and how you grew up, um, you know, back with the dinosaurs and stuff, you know.
5: How many of you guys had an outhouse? This is a true story. (laughs) Uh, Grew up in Minnesota on a farm as a kid. And we didn't have running water until I was six years old.
1: So here I am now. And so it was like, uh, originally it was like a thousand acre family farm. What did you guys grow? Uh,
5: Wheat, potatoes, uh, hay, uh, oats, mainly
1: just uh, the wheat crops. And, and potatoes, a lot of potatoes. And so that was the uh, family homestead. We were O'Driscoll. we came from County Cork, Southern Ireland, settled there as farmers. That was the homestead I was brought to when I was born. Uh, you've worked your whole life. You're one of the hardest working men I've ever met, and I honor you for that, Pops. Um, tell us about kind of work growing up on the farm as a kid, first job.
5: Well, uh, we did everything on the farm, I mean, if, I come from a family that's unusual. I had uh, my uh, dad and my uncles and my aunts were four brothers who married four sisters. Small town, (laughs) town. rock, paper, scissors, who gets much sister, yeah. So uh, I grew up on the farm and I mean that's all I knew until I was like 10 years old, 12 years old I guess we moved off the farm. Uh, But it was everything to do with Get the crops in and get the crops out. I mean, in the spring of the year, you fought the weather trying to get them in, and in the fall of the year, you were trying to get them out before the rain and the, the rains and the snow hit so that you could get them into your barn and get them sold in the wintertime, hopefully for more money than what you put into it to try to get it out. So it wasn't an easy life, but it was a fun life because you weren't tied to anything. You were
1: out there in the country and you had your. Cousins don't. It's a lot of freedom for a boy. I mean, how, how old were you when you started driving tractor? Nine. And then how old were you when you started driving truck and even driving loads into town? Twelve. How old were you when you first got pulled over by the cops for driving a vehicle? Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my cousin took... These are the stories we didn't tell the boys until they got older. Yeah, we didn't tell them growing up.
5: Well, my cousin took the truck to town and then he went somewhere left the truck they needed the truck so my aunt grabbed me and said let's go get the truck and so she's following me and the cop sees me trying to sit up as tall as I could in that seat so I'd look like I belong there it didn't work he yeah. swung right
1: around did you reach the pedals or how'd you do that
5: uh they had on the old trucks they used to have a throttle And so once you got the clutch in and out, and you got it into gear, you just pull the throttle, and away you go. That's pretty good for ten pops. (laughs) Oh, you had it all figured out by then. You've been driving tractors for three years. (laughs) So then, uh, how
1: old were you and Mom when you got married? I was twenty-one, and she was twenty. And then I showed up about a year later. I did the math when I was a kid, and I was legit. uh, (laughs) No, I did really. I was like, wait a minute, that's close. True story. He wasn't the only one that did
5: the math. I
1: watched more than one person go. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so you and mom got married uh, real young, and uh, you had to work to provide for a young family. So maybe, uh, how old were you when you started hanging She-Rock, and how long did you hang She-Rock for? I started my
5: first time when I was about 15, 16 years old, and uh, I hung it pretty much my whole life up until 45
1: when the back. on She-Rock? Fifteen to forty-five. That's thirty years. Uh, that's not a young man's trade.
5: No, that's that, why. Excuse I look, me.
1: That is a young man's trade. I mean, that is just physically grueling.
5: That's why I look like I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, when I was little, uh, and you, and sometimes there wouldn't be work you would go out of town to hang She rock and maybe explain some of those really tight seasons financially? Well, when we
5: first got married, there was very little work in Grand Forks. And so uh, me and another gentleman, we just kind of went out on our own. And uh, we started doing apartment buildings for a company that was 80 miles south of us in Fargo. And so we would go out of town, just the two of us, and it would be a 24-unit apartment building. And... Uh, we figured out that if you didn't hire anybody and you worked on your own, they had to cover your L and I and all your other stuff so you were still covered under L and I and then you could keep all the money. And so we would go into these apartment buildings of a group of us, there was a plumber and electrician and us, and the plumber would set up an area for a shower and the electrician would wire up an area so we could have a hot plate. And everybody just slept on stacks of sheetrock, so you didn't have to spend any money. So what was the minimum wage then? I think a dollar forty or dollar thirty-five.
1: Okay. And uh, and if you worked really hard by the hour hanging sheetrock, how much could you make? Well, we didn't work by the hour,
5: we worked by the foot. That's why we slept on the sheetrock and did all of that, because at that time I think that we were getting three and a quarter cents a square foot for hanging it, and seeing as how it was just me and Mel that were working together and we had no overhead. Everything we made, we got to keep other than what it cost for screws and tools.
1: So you'd hang sheetrock 12, 16 hours a day, sleep on the sheetrock, and send all the money home to me and mom. Yep.
5: Well, we'd come back about, depending upon the size of the job, we'd get back in town every two or three weeks and then have to go and turn our bill in so we could get paid and get our money so we could go to the next one.
1: So what caused you around, you know, 45 to stop hanging sheetrock?
5: Couldn't get out of bed.
3: Yeah.
5: <laughs> my back locked up and I just couldn't walk. I'd go to a grocery store, I'd be walking down the aisle and Deb would be walking in front of me and she'd turn around and I'd be hanging on to a counter because um, there was nerves in my back that were getting pinched and it just locked up the right leg, couldn't
1: move. So even like to this day, you've got, you live with serious chronic pain from 30 years of literally breaking your back to feed your family.
5: Yeah, basically.
1: And um, how long have you and mom been married now? 53. That's awesome. That's awesome. awesome. Um,
5: The woman's a saint.
1: Yeah, yeah, she is. Mom prayed us both into the kingdom. Yes. Yes, yes. And so maybe talk about you were raised uh, Catholic. And when your dad died, uh, your mom, my grandma, she became a nun, uh, an order of, of nuns within the Catholic Church. And uh, growing up, we were hit and miss in church and Catholic Church and stuff. But when do you think it was for you that you really took your faith seriously and started, you know, praying, reading the Bible, saying I'm going to actively live as a Christian?
5: In my early 30s, i mean it, it, in our in our 20s when we lived in Spokane. Uh, the Catholic Church had a movement that went through at that time called the Charismatic Movement, and we went to a lot of the uh, prayer meetings and stuff there, and and got really close with a lot of. The people in that Mom got healed there too, right? yeah, yeah Mom yep. got healed. she was prayed over and healed there. yeah and then then when we moved to Seattle, of course you start all over and you lose that group and you know and she's kind of wayward for a while there. Uh, you kids went to St Bernadette's
1: still. Yeah, I forgive you, but it was <laughs> <wrong. Yeah.
5: laughs> it's the only thing we knew,
1: yeah you know well, you didn't like Catholic school either We won't even talk about it. <laughs> How many days did you miss your senior year in the Catholic school? It wasn't my senior year. Or, or seventh grade year.
5: Seventh grade year. I come from the country school into seventh grade, and I did, I disliked the the nun that I had so bad. They would put me in the front door. I'd go out the back door. They'd put me in the back door. I'd go out the front door. I had good enough grades, but I'd miss 92 days of school. I didn't go to school <laughs> enough <laughs>
1: to, to pass. So... He ended up having uh, us five kids, Ooh. and uh, mom stayed home to focus on us kids, and uh, I just want to publicly honor you, dad. We're, we're studying Genesis. We, we've we been learning about Abraham, and then there, we just met Isaac. He was just born. Eventually, he's going to be Jacob, and, and then Jesus talks about um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's three generations. That's a grandpa, a dad, and the sons, and the grandsons, and um, you worked incredibly hard. I can still remember when I was uh, a little boy, you'd go out of town and work, and mom would tell me, dad's sleeping on the job site, dad's sleeping in his truck, he's sending us all the money to make ends meet. And so she always really honored you, and she was always very grateful for your hard work, and and I am too, and we got your work ethic, and I appreciate that. And then um, growing up in my neighborhood, I, I was talking about it before we were having just lunch with the boys, I don't remember any other kid I grew up with had a dad. I don't remember anybody having a dad.
5: I've actually tried to look back, and, and there was only a couple kids that you hung around with and they were, they were further from our neighborhood. They weren't, yeah. like, within a couple blocks area, but that had dads. I mean, there was a lot of kids that just didn't have dads in that neighborhood.
1: No, I remember there was uh, next to me, there was next to us, uh, there was boys, and they were buddies of mine. And then next to them, there was another house with a couple of brothers. And both of those households, uh, one of the boys uh, in each household, one of my friends, died, I think, in their 20s. And so I, in, the, in those three homes, the only house that didn't have a young man die was our house, and our house was the only house that had a dad. And I remember in the neighborhood we grew up in, it was... Uh, uh, it was a little bit rough. I can still remember a lot of drugs and alcohol. Uh, Green River Killer, Ted Bundy were in that immediate area as well. Um, I could still remember, um, I remember getting offered drugs as a really young kid. I remember first knife or gun pulled on me probably at 10 or 12. First funeral I went to for a friend of mine that OD'd on drugs was around 12. She had an older uh, boyfriend, I don't know what he was, 16, 18 or whatever. He had a car and got her drugs and she OD'd and died. And I remember riding my bike to her funeral and it was open casket. She was about 12. And so there were no dads and there was a lot of crime and a lot of mayhem, but I never did drugs. I never did alcohol. I never got into trouble. And I I think a lot of that dad was, I had a dad. And so I just knew like, if if I come home, I'm going to have to give an account to somebody who's in authority. And I knew what right and wrong was. And it kept me out of a lot of danger and 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 harm and, uh, and and it it helped me kind of move on into the next season of life and so uh, I still remember when uh, there was no dads in the neighborhood so I, I'll never forget I showed up for baseball tryouts and there was no coach because there was no dad not one kid on the team had a dad and so I, I don't know how that worked out I think I came home and told you you're the coach you know because you're the only dad so. Well, we went to sign-ups with you and they they
5: said, we'll find a coach for the kids. And so the group of kids that he ended up being put with, he was, I think, six or seven years old, there was only like one dad other than me. And he was an older gentleman, and so they kind of looked at me and said, well, can you coach? And I said, I've never even played baseball. I had to go read the little league book in order to figure out how to play the game You know, and that's how I coached for 17 years.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you had three sons. I had three kids. And so you were the only dad, so you ended up coaching. And I remember, Dad, uh, when I was little, you and Mom wanted to make sure we stayed out of trouble. So you guys tried to set up our home as the place where all the kids would come so we'd stay out of trouble. Maybe explain that. And what we did to Mom's garden. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I got
5: a good deal on a pitching machine, and it had all the nets and the pipes and everything that had to go with it. And so we had to go tear it down and move it, but of course we did that. And so when you got a pitching machine in your backyard, you attract every little kid for about 10 blocks in a circle. And they show up at your house just to see if somebody's out in the batting cage. And so our house became the center of Everybody.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll publicly own this, too. We used to take that pitching machine. We were right up next to the airport, and the planes would fly over to land, and we tried to shoot down the planes with a pitching machine, crank each wheel up to 100 and, whoosh, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I apologize for that, Dad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you guys had mini bikes, and you had sporting equipment, and I think Mom was gone one weekend, and we put the batting cage where her garden used to be and did masks, and she came home and was a little frustrated with that move. Um, but our house was always set up as the place where all the kids would come, and you and mom would always feed kids, clothe kids, and I still remember we'd go shopping for clothes, for you know, shoes or coats when school started, and mom would always buy extra coats and stuff, and I'd be like, mom, why are you buy extra coats? She's like, we're gonna hang them out. When the kids come over that don't have coats, we're gonna give them a coat. When the kids come over, they don't have shoes, we're gonna give them shoes, and you guys always made extra food, and we always had kids stay in the night because they didn't have oftentimes their parents weren't even home and so they were alone and so they would come over do their homework they would you know hit the batting cage hang out mom would help them with homework you guys would feed them and oftentimes they'd stay the night maybe you were telling us a story before maybe uh like coaching little league and then the parents don't even show up so you bring the kids home and then you're looking for the parents yeah one night we had a a little guy that uh
5: played with michael or middle boy and uh Game is over. We come home. His dad. The game is over. We're looking around. And his dad ain't there. And I said, "Well, come home. Uh, we'll give him a call." So we take him home, and we call the house, and he ain't there. And uh, I asked the kid, I says, "Well, what about your mom?" Well, my mom works at nights. I think she was a nurse or something. And he goes, "But my dad goes to this certain tavern. He goes. It's it's right down by the waterfront. He goes." I've stopped there with them before. So we get in the telephone book and we start looking for taverns down in that area. Sure enough, we call three or four taverns and we ask, I can't, you know, is so-and-so there? Yeah, just a minute. It's like 9.30 at night. I'm going, could you come and pick up your son so I could go to bed? You (laughs) (laughs) You gotta go hunt down the parents.
1: Well, then over the years, I remember I'd even go off to college or get married and come back. And anytime we were home, you guys have since moved, Kids would just drop by, then now they're grown, and they'd knock on the door and, hey, I want you to meet my wife, hey, you know, and so you guys were kind of like the mom and dad of the neighborhood, and everybody stop by even when they were growing up.
5: Well, a lot of that, my wife ended up working at the high school in the area, and there was 1,200 kids, and she literally knew every kid's name. If there was a problem in the school with one of the kids, the security guards would come, the security people would come to her and go, who is it? and she, It's so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and they're in this class at this time. And because of that, um, even when our kids were growing up and and going away, we still had kids that they felt like Mrs. Driscoll's always there. And um, for a matter of fact, we had kids move in with us because both of their parents moved and they wanted to finish school. So, of course, my wife goes, well, you can come stay with us till you graduate. (laughs) Just the way it was. So, um,
1: how many grandkids you got now, Pops?
5: We keep adding. We got
1: 23. Yeah, 23 so far. And, um, yeah, you guys are down for the week. And I just wanted to to publicly honor you, and I wanted to give the boys a chance to share whatever they appreciate about you or good memories they have of you. Um, You've always made uh, your family your priority. And... Growing up, you didn't do a lot of hobbies because you were busy being a dad, coaching Little League, being involved in what we were doing, and you didn't buy yourself any, you know, any hobbies. That You weren't a boating guy or a fishing guy, or you were a dad, and you were working hard to, I mean, the fact that you literally worked until you broke your back, and then had to go through surgery, and then go to college and get a degree, and then go into another trade and become a a building inspector and all of that. I mean, you always did whatever it took to take care of uh, of our family. Uh, but I just wanted to honor you because you always made family a priority. And when the kids were growing up, uh, Friday nights, you, mom and, well, you and mom and then Grace's mom and dad would take turns watching the kids for date nights. So you always got dating on a Friday. And oftentimes they would stay at your house. You were always at their sporting events. You were at their school events. You were at their tournaments I mean you were always you know your kids and your grandkids you've always been very 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 invested and involved so anything you guys want to share just what you appreciate about grandpa or good memory you have or something you're thankful for
0: yeah I just say well thank you first off for just being here we appreciate it and there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying um I just remember as a kid really appreciating and enjoying time with my grandparents which a lot of kids don't have grandparents and that's rare to actually enjoy them so Calvin and I, when we were, how old do you think we were? I was probably ten. You were eight, something about that. First time we came to Arizona was with you and Grandma. And you took us. We had each had a baseball tournament in Arizona, and uh, I just remember that being a fun time, good memories. Um, and you are just always present. You still are present in our lives, but always present, and that helped me um, help me develop an identity as a young man. I got to see, I got to see my grandpa. Um, and who he was, and the history that you had, and the foundation of the family you started, and then I got to see my dad, um, and you're both involved heavily in my life, and that helped me build uh, identity as a young man from a young age, and I think that's a a big part of legacy as we're going through Genesis. You have to see your history of your family, and see what God's brought you through already, and and you have to have hope for a future, and um, just say thank you grandpa for being there, and showing us the history of what you went through to provide for this family and provide a legacy. And um, now we get to see the future of what we get to do through that. So thank yeah, you.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is cool that you think about it, you boys. The first time you were in Arizona, I think I was working, I think I was in Orlando preaching, and you and mom were like, hey, we'll, we'll take them to Arizona. We'll take them to the tournament. And so it was waffles for breakfast at the hotel and Little League and all that. And, and you were just always willing, dad, to say, hey, we'll clear the deck, whatever the kids need. We're going to do that. And so it's interesting now that we're all here in Arizona and doing ministry in Arizona, the first time you were in Arizona is with your grandpa, which is awesome.
2: Um, One of my favorite memories that uh, I share with grandpa is we got baptized together. Um, we were in Israel, we went on a family trip, and my dad was baptizing my grandpa in the Jordan River, and then he turned around and got to baptize me. Um, so that's a pretty special memory. But I, one thing I appreciate is how hardworking you were. We were just talking about that. Um, and it, you taught my dad how to work hard, and then he, uh, in turn, taught us how to work hard. Um, and I apologize for my generation. Uh, <laughs> they, are, they are not hard workers. Uh, <laughs> so being able to know how to work hard it gives me a head start and my brother's a head start
3: Um, and yeah so thank you for that grandpa um well i didn't get baptized by him or go to arizona with him i was still like way down here when they were playing baseball but um, my favorite memory with grandpa is uh, the beginning when i was about four years old he put me on a tee and he'd put me on right side left side so he kind of He started my baseball passion and kind of from there I wanted to play more. And I took after Zach and I hit lefty now. But still, it was a lot of fun just getting to be taught by you. And um, one thing that I've learned from you kind of after what they're saying is the hard work that you just put in. It's just really instilled into kind of all three of us boys. And um, like Calvin was saying, like our generation kind of sucks at working. But, you know, um, I feel like – You've just really set the example and the bar high on um, just how to work and how to serve others. So,
4: Well, I'm not your grandson, but I feel like it sometimes. So um, we have cars in common. We hit it off right away, Grandpa Joe. Uh, restores cars and so do I so we instantly became really good friends and uh, it was really cool one of the first times I met him we went to Starbucks and he made me drink his drink which was very endearing and uh, it was a great drink so I learned something at Starbucks from Grandpa Joe and uh, I just really loved we came up to Washington to visit you guys and you set the entire house up for grandkids you got like four four or six bunk beds ready to go for all the grandkids you got cars for all the older grandkids like you're totally set up so that people look forward to coming over to your house spending time with you guys and um, it's just an honor to know you and to see your legacy through these three generations and um, I'm really thankful for who my wife is and she wouldn't be here today if you didn't take care of your family so yeah. I just want to honor you and thank you for that
1: yeah. Thank you, too, Lena. You've been really good to my folks, and they love you very, very much. And, uh, just, yeah, Dad, I think you, um, I'm going to ask a weird question. Uh, so when you and Mom started, what did you start with? Like financially, economic, where did you guys start? I mean, here, here we are, 23 grandkids and a few generations later. With nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean nothing.
5: Um, I was, uh, when I met your mom, uh, I was working at a pizza house and uh, flipping, uh, not even flipping pizzas, I was the chicken guy. I was making chicken.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the last time you made dinner, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
5: But I mean, our generation, you didn't have a lot. Back there, there was nobody that had a lot. There was enough. If you had food on the table and you had a car that would start in the winter time, which was a miracle, um, you pretty much and you had a job, you just went from there. And and <laughs> through God's good graces, it keeps going on. That's you know. I, I guess if I was going to say have advice for any guy getting married today is. It ain't going to be easy, and you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the richest, but you have to be present. You always have to be present. Just be there. Because I found that that's the only thing I ever was consistent with, was was being there. And I've got five great kids and 23 grandkids.
1: Mm. You feel blessed, Dad? Absolutely. And what does it look like? What is it for you just... Starting with nothing, working hard, and then even seeing your grandsons and who your granddaughter marries and all of that, and who your grandson marries. and
5: well, all of my kids. I mean, um, every one of you guys are what you'd call an eight type personality where you go out and you get it done, I mean, uh, you know. Uh, you've proved yourself, uh, Melanie, after divorce picked herself up and kept on marching and she's doing great and uh, Michael's gone through a divorce and now he's picking himself up and he's doing great and Michelle's doing great And, and you know Matt all your kids every every kid of mine has had difficulty and has had times but they do the same thing you just keep going don't stop and in the end you end up pretty happy yeah
1: that's great. Well, we love you, Dad, and I just wanted to publicly thank you and honor you, and it's good to have you and Mom down, and thank you for staying married to Mom for 53 years, or I should thank Mom for staying married to you for 53 years, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really cool, because we all love you, we enjoy you, we like seeing you, and uh, everybody here, you know, it's not a perfect family, we've got our issues, and I'm, I'm the most drama in the whole group, but... Um, everybody here loves jesus and loves each other and feels really really blessed and excited for all of your uh, hard work and and kind of the each generation taking another step forward so you didn't have anything and i started better than you did and these guys are starting off better than i did and and just seeing that legacy move forward is super super encouraging so anything else you guys want to say for i pray for grandpa joe all right you're the old sack why don't you pray for him? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to uh, just seek wisdom, seek guidance, and uh, to learn from people who have been through it. Um, Thank you for the consistency and the presence of my grandfather, and I pray for each of the men in this room that your Holy Spirit would fill them, and uh, that, that your Holy Spirit would be present with them so they can be present with their families. And we just pray for the legacy of not just my family, the Driscolls, but the families of every every man in this room and that we would think generationally and not make selfish decisions. And uh, Lord, I just pray your blessing over the discussion tonight and the rest of our night. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of today's His word encourages you to be stronger men of Christ. If you live in Arizona, I invite you to attend Real Men. We meet every Wednesday night here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. For more resources like this, visit realfaith.com and remember, it's all about Jesus.